Welcome to the Booktopia podcast. My name is Nick Wasiliev, Booktopia's social media specialist and resident sports nerd. I'm coming to you today from the lands of the Camaragal Nation, and I pay my respects to all elders, past, present, and emerging. But today, I'm extremely excited to have you here with us because, outside of you know my normal work working within uh, working at Booktopia, I, I do have a real love and passion for everything sport-related. And my guest today is Brendan Jack. He is a journalist and a former player for the Sydney Swans, and he's about to drop a brand new memoir. 28, a memoir memoir of football, addiction, art, masculinity, and love. And he joins us right now over the airwaves. Brandon, welcome to the pod, mate. Hi, Nick. Thanks for having me on today. It's it's an absolute pleasure to have you, mate. And and first of all, how are you? I know that at the time of recording, both of us are are currently in the midst of of facing several more weeks of of lockdown Mm. here in Sydney. Are you doing okay? How are you? I am. I'm coping well, you know, reaching out to a lot of people and having conversations. And, you know, I've thankfully found motivation to to write some new things. Um, You know, you can put a lot of pressure on yourself to, to... create things in lockdown and sometimes it doesn't happen but you know i'm grateful that i've got a spark at the moment which is nice um so yeah that's helping me get through day by day as well yeah that's great it's really positive to hear that you know you're you're taking the time to to do projects like this like like 28 as well as other stuff in between tell us a little bit about this memoir that you've put together (sighs) yeah um look i should have that nailed by now shouldn't i it it's in short, it's a book about my kind of lifelong relationship with football. Um, but by no means is it a football book. It's a, it's a book that explores a lot of things that in my life have been associated with football. So ideas of, you know, who am I as a, as a person, as a man. Um, I touch on what, what love is to me as well. And the idea of creativity and artistic pursuits, which I'm now following and how it all kind of relates. Um, Funnily enough, it started as the desire to not write a book about football. And that's the, <laughs> the, the first meeting with my publisher went, I'm not, I said, I'm not writing about football. They said, yep, great, write whatever you want. Um, wrote like 10 dot points about football in a first <laughs> manuscript, like summarized my career in 10 dot points. Uh, and then a few things happened. And over the course of 18 months, I realized that there was something to be written about football for me. And, and now was the right time. Um, and you know, it was a bit of a process, but the final version of the book came, came really quickly. And I'm glad that I captured that on a, on the page, how I was feeling at the time. Yeah, it's look, it is a great, it is a fantastic memoir, by the way. I absolutely enjoyed it. And additionally, like you say that there is, I mean, obviously football happens within the story, but it's not just about football um no. which i think is it, it, so many people whenever they're chasing sporting mem- memoirs often just are all after that nitty-gritty stuff but there's something a lot more to this um mm. to this book and you know it's a fantastic examination of course you, you do of course touch on that sport but also like you say that may the kind of the male experience there is one thing that i really wanted to kind of ask you off yeah. the bat here um obviously because a lot of our listeners obviously haven't had the chance to, 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 to read the book yet. Mm-hmm. Um, we're in a very similar age bracket. And for me, when it comes to writing a memoir at, at the age that we're at now, often we're still finding our way in the yeah. world. Um, and you mentioned at the start of the book, again, that this is not your life story. Mm. Why was now the right time to tell this story? Yeah. I, I've, you know, I've done a lot of 
creative writing classes and, and I, I minored in writing it at my um, university and I kind of have become aware of the importance of the lens which you write through and, and the time in which you write. And um, I touch on it at some stage in the book and I say the things I'm feeling now, I might not feel in a year or two years or 10 years, but I feel them right now. And for me, I was in such a unique, but also common to a player's position where I was four, uh, when I kind of started, I guess, three years post professional football. So I'd been out of the game for three years and you know, a lot of sports memoirs and biographies, when do they come out? As soon as that player retires, you know, and normally it's a very <laughs> successful player and it's a, it's a Christmas stocking thing that, you know, everyone gets shoved down and, but you don't know how that player then feels three years later or whatever. And mm. it's different for everyone. But, you know, I had a lot of discontent and uncertainty and a lot of feelings that weren't resolved. Mm. And I think writing it now at the age of, so I was 26, I guess, when I, when I wrote that book um, or wrote this book, it would be a far different book in 10 years time. And I think we miss out on that searching process and those feelings that I'm experiencing now, if I were to write it then. Yeah. It's, it's fantastic that you're just cataloging these feelings in these particular moments at this time, but also the, the relationship that you have with sport. Mm. Cause early on you talk about in the book that you, you, you were a sport football household. You had a rugby league dad, Oh, you'd yeah. do the stuff like you'd race the bus home on, yeah, on, yeah. on street. I know it's the thing, like you don't realize that that's not what everyone experiences. And for me, I, I, I knew I had a dad who was a really famous rugby league player, but I also thought like everyone's dad was a really famous rugby league player. I was like, your dad didn't play for Australia. Like, okay, sure. Um, but that's just, you know, that was our thing. That was our family's thing. And, and that's what I did because I wanted to be, you know, like my dad and I wanted to be like my brothers and, that's the essence of why I think I started playing football. And um, it took me a long time to kind of, it sounds obvious saying that, but it did take me a long time to kind of realize that was my main motivation for playing. You're, you mean your parents and, and, and that family well, just, dynamic? Yeah. Yeah. For, for wanting to, you know, at, at the end of the day, I started playing football because it was great for me to be a part of a family. And that's what we spent time doing. Mm-hmm. You, you talk about because because you, you did play rugby league when you were a lot younger, but then you mm-hmm. moved to to the AFL after winning a a golf chipping contest against yeah. your dad, which <laughs> which I find absolutely hilarious. And you talk about and this is kind of interesting in terms of your own relationship with with sport, but then more it's the starting point of helping you discover yourself because you talk mm-hmm. about that you actually found enjoyment in AFL. Um, and I love that you talk about how you you did footy speak chat. Um, you know, I, yeah, I know yeah. that kind of chat. It's littered with that element of kind of self-deprecation whenever you're within that, that mm. setting. What, just to give a sense for, for people, what is that one, what is one thing that most people really get wrong in terms of uh, misconceptions around working in a professional sporting environment that, yeah. we often, that, you, that you have at the Swans? Um, no, it just, I had a thought just then, like I obviously played rugby league and, and Australian rules football, and I still call it AFL, even though you're not meant to call it AFL. Um, <laughs> just because I'm a Sydney boy who grew up and went to a rugby school and I had a few back and forth with editors over, is it Guernsey or Jersey? And I'm like, I call it Jersey, but they're like, the Melbourne audience won't get it. You have to say Guernsey. I'm like, well, I call it Jersey. Um, <laughs> you know, and throughout the book, when I say football, football to me is both Aussie rules and rugby league because football is just, it's, it's a game to me. It doesn't matter what version that game is. Um, and that's why it's my relationship with football in all its forms. Um, the thing about, I guess, the footy speak and, and being in a football environment is 
it's so similar to any other job in a lot of ways. Like there are people on the fringe of it all the time. Uh, I think it's more clearly defined in football because every week there's a team that's picked and you're either in that team or you're not. Mm. So it's a really clear yes or no. And that can be really disheartening, which it was for me. Um, but you know, there's always, you want to climb ladders and you want to be the best and there's things in your way stopping you from being the best and not everyone can be the best. Not everyone can be the boss um, in every workplace. So, you know, the things that I've got mates who are, who are tradesmen and, and mates who, who work in all different kinds of jobs, but footy, the environment is, is similar in a lot of ways. It's, it's interesting kind of looking at, looking at it now within context, because you also examine your own personal progression within from the mental health perspective side of things. Mm-hmm. Um, I get a sense uh, for, like, particularly when you start talking about your like second year blues premiership hangovers and, mm-hmm you were spending a lot of time drinking and even how you were talking about when you had a severe ankle injury and you just forced yourself to mm. to play because you were just driven by that desire yeah. to be selected and climb those ladders. Um, I get a real sense that it, that there were, that the, this mental and this environment is just a real tough, gritty place that would just drive someone, particularly who's someone who came into the game so young, it would potentially have very bad, ramifications mm. if you're if you're not really yeah. grounded i think uh and the way i i've probably communicated that in the book which I, I i'm so glad i did this when i played i include my diary entries yeah um because i couldn't recapture that stuff now if i tried and i'd forgotten about it because i shoved those diaries away and and finding those was part of the process in, in wanting to write this again um I think when people read like day after day, those, and those were not like my football diaries. Those were my personal diaries. Those were like everything in my life was that diary and it was just football. Um, And that's, I hope that gets across the idea to people that, you know, we talk about the mental health of athletes and footy players and people kind of brush over it sometimes and say like, Oh, but they're getting paid this much. And you know, it's it's a luxury job. Like it's bloody hard to switch off. Um, like I was manic with it and I know the other guys were the same and maybe they, they didn't write it down like I did. Um, but being in that environment where your whole life is being in that team and, and winning and being the best player and self-talk around, I am the best midfielder in the competition. Like mm-hmm. everyone has to believe that it's, uh, it takes its toll on everyone, but you know, especially the guys like me who don't get the reality, you know, the, the motivation and the reality don't align. It's a really difficult position to be in. I get the sense from, from looking back and reading the book that you, you've now had the power of, of, of time away from that space. Like, and that it's mm. quite a frustrating space to be in, um, in terms of that. Would, would you say anything could be done to change that mentality for people who were in that position or is that just something that is just so difficult to examine because you're in such a high pressure situation the entire time Mm -hmm. it's it's so difficult because you know we should motivate ourselves to be the best and we should be driven with everything we do um i think personally i just really struggled to to find a line between my football career and who i am as a person Mm -hmm. um you know clubs can associations and everything can look at improving the mental health support around players. And the thing is I still had access to a psychologist, but I would always shut down the conversation and maybe this will help, I guess, people be aware that footy players will just, you know, put their guards up and will, and will lie. Even if like, 
even if they're hurting and they're down because we don't want to look weak. Um, mm. So maybe this will be a, a voice that'll, that'll, you know, show that to people um, and speak for people who wouldn't normally speak about it. Um, yeah. It's, it's finding a balance between that relentless drive and not, you know, scorning yourself when you don't succeed. I don't think you have to be one or the other. Mm, agree. Yeah. It's, it's actually also interesting that you mentioned that you talk about that context. There is a part of the book where you do talk about working playing with Goodsy. Um, yeah. And not just, but I, what I love about it is that, yes, he's a fantastic player. He's won Brownlow medals and he's got flags and stuff, but you were particularly, what really impressed you was how he would approach you as a person off the field. Um, yeah. That's one of the, that was one of the more kind of enjoyable parts of the book to write, you know, cause I've written articles about Adam before and the issues surrounding him. But when I kind of sat down, a lot of this book is I, I just try and, paint pictures of people or, or things. And, and I think everyone's smart enough to make up their own opinion based off that. And I have so many little tiny memories of, of Goodsy that show who he is as a person. Mm. Um, you know, the image of him at the front of, we all had seats in team meetings and footy clubs are weird like that. Like you have your seat and that's your seat. And if you steal somebody else's seat, that nah, doesn't happen. Um, Goodsy was like right at the front in front of horse with a metal drink bottle under his leg and like a, a hat on his head all the time. And he sat up straight and you're like, there's Goodsy. Um, there's a story about, I think we were walking, me and him were walking from the club to our cars and he, there'd been this riddle that was going around the club and I won't tell the riddle because, you know, it's a long one, but he kind of stopped me on the way and, and helped me get the answer to the riddle that he could see I wasn't getting. Um, and just little moments like that, you know, you see who he is as a person, uh, more than anything. And, um, you know, there's, there's so much to say about Goodsy, but I'm, I'm glad that, I was able to share those memories of him. Yeah, it's, and what I thought was impressive in, in kind of leaning back into the, what you actually wanted to cover about this book was that he, I think he got a clear, the sense that I got from him was that he was really, he could tell that coming into an environment like that is quite difficult, particularly mm. if you're someone who is a younger player and you're, mm. you're in that high pressure world to perform and that the strain on it can actually be quite telling. You talk a lot about kind of the mental health issues they experience, and that your response had been to uh, around the mental health issues was to erect barriers, go silent, yeah. not say anything. Yeah. I, I like, it's so typical of a lot of people I know, especially young men or just men in general, my coping mechanisms were, you know, don't talk about it and drink. And I was like, I never, never ever thought I really had problem with alcohol but when i think back like i was a binge drinker in like a really really bad way because i wouldn't i wouldn't need to drink during the week because we had a rule that you had to you know wait it had to be seven days between games so you could drink so i wouldn't drink on a wednesday or a thursday but i'd wait for saturday to get around and i would build it all up and spend it on that one night and mm. i'd you know have this toxic competitiveness around drinking as well like i had to drink more than my teammates so if he's had one drink well i'm gonna have one as well um and it got to a point where, you know, when my career was at its lowest, I would just drink myself until I couldn't walk anymore. And, and that was my solution. And I'd, I'd wake up the next day and, and go to go to the club and do recovery and everything would just keep going. Mm, yeah, it's, which, is, which is a difficult place to get yourself out of. But 
Mm. I mean, you did eventually. And I think you, you do a lot of association or kind of separation of yourself from the sporting mentality that you had at that time, even your nickname BJ, which you kind of describe as a, as a, yeah, an ego. Yeah. And when you were in that mindset, you just let BJ take over because it was just easier for you to, to let him run things and look after things. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's funny. Like I, if somebody calls me Brandon, it's just so foreign because that's who I was for all those years at a footy club. And before that as well, in different footy circles as well, I've always just been BJ. Um, mm. But, but part of the book was I, I didn't want to just accept that that was a, a separate part of me and cut it off and be like, no, nah, that's BJ. That's his problem. I wanted to, to really dive down and go, well, no, at the end of the day, I am BJ and he's the part of me. And, you know, let's not just do the easy thing and say, nah, he's not me let's actually dig down into it and say, well, why is it me? And, and what is it about me? Mm. So, so trace that back to me. Cause I get a sense. Cause I mean, going back to this again, this book, while it does talk about football, it's not the key core part mm. of the story. Um, often when you have memoirs like this, um, you talk about people talk about how uh, they came to this fantastic endpoint, And this is where they are. This is the place that they're at. Um, this is the journey that they've gone through. So I got a sense for a lot of this book, um, you were, there was a lot of, cause it isn't just about, um, it isn't just about football. This is, there's a lot of examination of, of you and who you are as a person. Looking back at that, where does, where does football fit within your life now? It's, it's, as I was writing, I think I had, and this is what I liked about it. And this is why when I talk about lens before, I think, you know, when, when guys normally get to the end of their career, they have a clear end point to write to. Um, I started without that endpoint, and I started writing at a time when I wasn't playing football for the first time in my life, where even if I wasn't playing any local league footy, um, and you know, it made me really have to think about, do I love football or do I hate football? Cause for a while there, I'd convinced myself that I hated football. And mm. a lot of that's, I think, because it hurt me or I thought it had hurt me. Um, and, you know, as I, I kind of wrote this, wrote this book and, and did a lot of other things in my life as well to, to improve myself, uh, how I was with my mental well-being, um, could finally start, you know, seeing that football did have a place in my life and I can't deny that. And then, you know, literally two, di- two days before I had to submit the final version of the manuscript, <laughs> I played my first game of like local footy again and had so much fun. It, it was something that I'd, I'd never thought I'd do again. Um, you know, was able to play just for the, without looking forward, like to being like, I have to be more, I can just play footy on the weekend and enjoy it. And I'm so grateful that I got to that point because, you know, it, it's such a, a great game and such a, a valuable thing to be able to kick a ball around with people that you know and care about. Um, so yeah, I, I, I had no idea that I'd end up there. I, I probably thought I would never get there. Um, and I'm so glad that I did. That's great. It's such a positive what thing to, especially considering the space that you had been in to, to view this, to be able to come out the other side and view it in a, in a positive way and, and experience it in a way that is much more truthful to who you are. And it, touching on that point, I, mm. I know that you, you talk a lot about the stuff that you're doing now a lot. So, you, you know, your, your music, mm. your writing, your artistic endeavours. And I particularly love how you, when you talk about the likes of, of musicians that our generation have loved for years, like Kurt Cobain and, uh, and Noel Gallagher and Amy, yeah. his obsession. Amy Winehouse as well, yeah. Yeah. I, uh, you know, 
for you, what was so great about how, for example, because I, I, I do love, I love myself some, um, some Nirvana. I love myself some hmm. Oasis. Um, what was so <laughs> great about how Kurt Cobain, you know, crafted tunes and how did that lead you to say, I want to transform myself into something like that? Um, yeah, <laughs> the Kurt Cobain story is so interesting because I, I like would have heard a couple of Nirvana songs growing up, but it was at a point where my third year with the Swans, when I was like totally over football and my housemate pulled out this, pulled out his laptop and he had like this pirated version of the Kurt Cobain documentary. And I was like, yes, wait, we'll watch it. And I watched it. And then I was like, after that, I was like, far out. Like, I just want to do that. Like, that's what I want to do. Cause I'd always loved playing guitar. I'd played guitar since I was 10 years old, but for some reason, like seeing somebody, the way he, that kind of gravel in his voice and it's, it's not, trying to hide anything and it's so honest and it confronts you. And I, mm. and I'm like that with a lot of the things I like artistically. Like when I go to a art gallery, I always stand in front of the thing that's just like, what the hell is that? Because it's confronting to look at and it's confusing, but it makes me feel a certain way that, you know, nothing else can, um, you know, Kurt Cobain, I, I had a big period of obsession with him and I, I still do like I, he's probably top two or three musicians, musicians all time for me. Um, you know, just that fearlessness about him. Mm. Um, and with their songs, you know, Nirvana songs are, are, are pop songs. Like they have this idea of everyone, like they're this grungy band, but all their songs are like verse chorus, verse chorus. Like they know what they, it was such a gifted songwriter like that. Um, and that's why so many people love them. Um, but it was just the, the, the grit of it that really spoke to me. Mm. Yeah. It's, it, I also think it's it's people often I think you know considering the 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 trajectory that that he took um, say oh he was he was such a tormented artist or the idea of tormented artists and you talk about that but a lot of things I think comes down to is you know he's a great artist but he was able to communicate that in such a fantastic yeah. way. Well, it's, I, I love people that kind of debunk stereotypes in a way and the thing with Cobain is everyone views him as the, the quintessential tortured artist yeah. but you watch you watch people talk about it and they're like no he was a relentless professional like mm. before they recorded Nevermind they and he wasn't that slacker and, and he cared about image and he, and he did care about everything um you know I, I love that when when things are debunking of stereotypes did a lot of where a lot of your other mates that you surrounded you um, when you were at the Swans or now even looking at it now, did they often did they follow that sort of similar path? Um, yeah, um, I'm, I'm I'm just thinking about that chapter. That was probably one of my favourite chapters. The the one it, that's an essay. I mean, the book has a few different forms, but that's an essay. That and the, the chapter where I kind of stream of consciousness being on the field again and being a maniac. I for some reason really like that one. Um, you know this this idea of because I personally always tried to divide sports and arts and view them as the opposites of each other, view them as binaries. But, you know, having been in both fields and have really like researched both as well, at the end of the day, it's a common, common thing to, to want to create an order from, from disorder, you know, and, and the order from chaos is, is, is a line in the book. And, you know, on a, on a footy field, you know, you want to kick goals, mm. but, you know, you have a game plan or you make decisions and you, you kick a ball a certain way. You could handball it, you could run with it, but you choose to kick it. Um, mm. And that's all directed towards this certain goal, which is to kick goals. And when I write or make music, like the end result is to create something. Um, but I do that through like, you know, if you're writing, you use accepted words or you use forms that people understand. Um, 
you know, so there's a lot of similarities there. Uh, as for teammates who are the same, I think that, you know, it's, that's the thing. They probably don't like to think that they're too similar to artists and um, because, you know, that's how we, we grow up. We're thinking, nah, artists are soft and we're footy players and we're hard, but <laughs> you know, it's funny. Most of my, most of my music mates like love footy. Like they'll talk to me about footy more than anything. And there's a big overlap in like the Sydney indie music scene and, and Sydney Swans lovers. It's hilarious. Um, but yeah, the, the similarities, similarities there, things that people don't think line up often do. It's so fascinating examining that and looking at that and seeing that the drives are actually really similar. Um, and the, yeah. the, the passion for it is, is really similar. Um, so now we get to where you are now. Um, and the, and the stuff that you do, um, you make this fantastic. You talk about this great quote in the book, um, that art is, is never finished, only abandoned. Um, yeah. <laughs> which is, I think, extremely, uh, extremely appropriate because I think, yeah, part of me was just like, I think Da Vinci, Leonardo Da Vinci said that. And I think part of me was like, well, I just want to disagree with Da Vinci, you know, because why not? Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, yeah, continue. I just wanted to get that in. It's, well, it's a great, it's a great quote. And it's also a great example of, of creative space because um, it's at the end of this book, and this is no spoilers for anyone here, but the gathering, the feeling I got was that for you, this felt more like a beginning more than anything else um the, the end of this yeah book. um where do you feel your calling now lies in the context of of art obviously there's the writing and there's the artist yeah. and there's the music but where does where do you find where does brandon jack find himself in that space i think it's it's nice in a way that that quote actually does mean a lot to me because i was definitely of the opinion that you know I struggle to finish things because I'm always aware of how far they could go or how they could be different. And I guess this was the first major, major body of work I had done. And for me to finally kind of finish it and say, you know, it, I, I might disagree with it in a year or, you know, there might be things I want to change, but to accept that that was capturing a moment in time. Um, that was such a big deal for me. And I'm glad that kind of since finishing, I've been able to do that with other projects as well. I'm not mm -hmm. as much of a, continually editing i'm just like no i'm capturing this moment in time and that's what art is to me um as for what it leads to i you know i would love to I, you know i've been working on a, a novel for a while now um i'd love to write fiction next i'd love to explore writing more non-fiction or you know sharing other people's stories as well so uh book writing is definitely one part of my future um that i that i hope to keep doing uh music as well i i, I can't stop myself from making music like i just love doing it and we'll continue doing it even if you know it doesn't lead anywhere but i just love doing it um and you know journalism is another thing that i, I dabble in but might keep exploring so a lot of things to, to pursue can you give us a hint can you give us some some tiny pointers on what that on that on that fiction book that you have coming <laughs> <Fiction> <laughs> book. Or, uh, is it, or, or are we in spoiler territory now and we cannot go any further <laughs> <laughs> well i don't know it's it's somebody asked me that the other day and I'm like, I guess it's not what you'd expect me to do next after this, which is a, a nice thing. I, I, I like that, you know, it, yeah, it's not what you'd expect next. I think that's good. I think that's a good, because often so many people expect when you, you know, you, you write, you create a book and you, or you write something and you, and it, and people expect you to stay within that lane. You sh I feel like if you, you shouldn't necessarily constrict yourself. If you're going to, if you want to write something, then go there. That's the place to be. Yeah. 
for yeah. sure. And that, that's something that I'm, I'm firm with as now, uh, firm with as well. Yeah. Um, thank it's, I'm aware that we're, we're running out, running short on time now. Um, so I just want to say thank you so much for coming on. Um, Brandon, it's been an absolute privilege chatting to you and talking about this amazing book and I really hope everyone enjoys it. Thanks for having me on today. Um, so for all of our listeners, 28 is published by Alan and Unwin, and you can get your copy of it right now from booktopia.com.au. Thank you for listening to the Booktopia podcast channel. Don't forget, you can subscribe to us on SoundCloud and iTunes for free and get access to hundreds of author discussions, book analysis pieces, and more. Or, if your eyes need a workout, head to Booktopia TV on YouTube. Don't forget, for all books featured in this podcast, and for access to a whole bunch of other fun content on our blog, head to Booktopia, Australia's local bookstore, at booktopia.com.au.